Okay, people, welcome to another episode of Echo Chamber. So we got, oh, we got quite a few films for you this week. But before we get into those, let's look at the top 15 films streaming in the UK this week. So at number 15, we got Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. And um, that was featured in um, volume 8 of our London Film Festival issues that hit last year. At number 14, we've got Bad Boys for Life, which came from Balao Falah and Abdil El Arabi. At number 13, we've got Dan Scanlon's Onward. At number 12, we've got The Invisible Man, which was from director Lee Wannell. At number 11, we've got the Bloom House you know, revamp of Fantasy Island, which Jeff Wadlow helmed. And at number 10, people, we've got James Mangold's Le Mans 66, a.k.a. Ford v Ferrari. And we looked at that in Volume 9 of last year's London Film Festival editions. Okay, so at number 9, oh, back in at number 9, we've got Avengers Endgame which of course is from the Russo brothers and we talked about that in episode 27 <laughs> alright so at number 8 we've got Sam Mendes' 1917 at number 7 it's Doolittle which came to us from director Stephen Gagan at number 6 it's Todd Phillips's smash hit Joker and we looked at that in episode 59 okay so we're in the top five now and at number five it's Birds of Prey Harley Quinn and um, we have Kathy Yan to thank for that one at number four we have got Peter Catoni's Military Wives and we looked at that in episode 78 at number 3 it's Sonic Hedgehog and director Jeff Fowler brought us that one at number 2 it's Frozen 2 and I'm Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck directed that and people this week's Number one is Walt Dome's Trolls World Tour. So, before we get into this week's monstrous amount of films, let's check out a little information, okay? So, sit back and let's go. Okay, film fans. This will be of interest to you. 
today, Cinema Showtime, an Indiegogo crowdfunding multimedia project designed to reunite film fans following the coronavirus lockdown, has launched. They will be working in partnership with Medi Cinema, the charity that brings the magic of film to hospitals. Cinema Showtime is a project that is looking forward to a time when re- restrictions are lifted and we can start going and doing what we love again. Going to the pictures. It is looking forward to a time when we can watch rescheduled movies that we have been waiting to see for months on the big screen with our friends. The current guidelines suggest that we can expect to see cinemas reopen to the public from July the 4th. Perhaps that will be our own Independence Day. (laughs) What the Cinema Showtime project involves production and distribution of a free glossy magazine written by film experts and packed with the ultimate preview of every movie being released between November the 20th and August the 23rd. Sorry, that's November 2020. To August 2021. This will include the latest release dates, info, features, interviews, and more. Staging a one off live event in a prominent London venue called Cinema Showtime Live that fans and contributors will be invited to attend. This will include a fan lottery with incredible prizes and money can't buy merchandise and experiences also creating an online site and newsletter that celebrates the return of cinema with up-to-the-minute news and information production unique and exclusive merchandise to tie in with the event and film releases and also 10% of all contributions and money raised will go to the charity Medi Cinema to assist with their work. The teams behind Cinema Showtime, Creative Path Group Limited, Strike Media Limited and My Film Club will be monitoring the latest coronavirus guidelines to ensure that what is planned will be sensible and time sensitive. The first glossy magazine is currently scheduled for October. As this proceeds, a number of major rescheduled movie releases for November onwards. These include No Time to Die, Black Widow, Soul, Free Guy, Peter Rabbit 2, Fast and the Furious 9, Top Gun Maverick, Coming to America 2, The Tomorrow War, Venom 2 and many more. Medi Cinema is a registered UK charity that builds and runs state-of-the-art cinemas in NHS hospitals which accommodate beds and medical equipment. They work to help improve patient well-being, resilience and recovery through the power of film and the shared cinema experience. Currently their cinemas are suspended just like all 
regular cinemas across the country. Instead, they are providing a free movie channel for patients to access at their bedsides during the long periods of isolation that come with restricted visiting hours. We are raising money for them to keep these services running and to ensure their in-hospital cinemas can reopen when it is safe to do so. Um, the Medicinema CEO, Kat Mason, said, We all miss being able to go out to see a film with friends and for our NHS patients who are more isolated than ever and not able to visit our in-hospital cinemas. It is even harder. This is such a wonderful initiative. Uh, we are so grateful for Cinema Showtime support, which will help ensure that our cinemas will reopen and that patients can once again have a break from the wards and their conditions to do what used to feel normal to all of us. To go and watch a great film. Alright, so check out the links in this episode's information on how you can get involved with uh, Cinema Showtime. Great stuff. Okay, so people, we've got that covered and go check it out. It's a you know, it's a great idea. But I think it's now time to get into this week's reviews. We've got a lot, so sit back, relax, and let's go. Alright people, just checked out Spy Intervention This is the new film from director Drew Myleria And it's actually his uh, feature film debut um, Before this he's done uh, several short films But uh, yeah, this is his first adventure into that full length territory the film was written by Mark Famigeletti and Lane Garrison. It's produced by Ryan R. Johnson, Sunil Perkash, Martin Sprock, Anil Yadav, Akesh Yadav. Uh, and <clears throat> it's starring Drew Van Acre, Poppy Delvine, Natasha Bennett, Max Silvestri, Brittany Furlon, and Blake Anderson. Uh, the cinematography is Danny Grooms. Um, it has music by Roger Suin. And um, I think one of the songs we're hearing a lot of the way in this film is uh, from Mad A Mad Maddie X. Wheels fall off, I believe is the uh, is the one, and the gist of the film is this, right? When a top secret super spy suddenly meets the woman of his dreams, he abandons his adventurous existence and settles for the security of suburbia, reveling in the quaint existence he's never known. One year later, he is completely bored, though he refuses to admit it. His old spy friends enact a spy intervention, convincing him that 
If he just returns to his old life, the adventure will help save his listless marriage and maybe even save the world in the process. Um, yeah, prepare to be shaken and stirred. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's not exactly what we see, but, uh, you know. That's one of those things, right? Um, now it's uh, it, it it's kind of going on that old trope of the tongue in cheek, you know, spy film. The you know the spy in a situation they can't even happen, real life. Yeah, it's going off that conceit, right? And we've seen a lot of films like that, you know? It's not the first to go, this could be amusing. Um, Now, one of the interesting things it decides to do is, um, like, set things up with this kind of narration of... Relationships through time Right, so the film starts off with like cavemen And then, you know, the the sixties and blah And this is how relationships always were But what happens when things change Right, so that's how we get introduced to the film Um, So it does this and uh you know then we have um i guess it's uh Corey and smuts on a mission right and so then we kind of go into like the initial ah oh, how do they meet and blah 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 that kind of setup right so that's the thing and i think an issue with this is what they decide to go is a relationship. You know, because if you start with a certain framework, that's your foundation. That's what you have to build upon. And their foundation is not strong. You know, like the 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 idea of a great relationship is kind of wonky. Right? It's just like, really? That's what you're calling a great relationship? Okay. So, we're, yeah, we're going from that. And then, you know, we're introduced to these top spies on a mission. And, even, and, and so that is our kind of look at, oh, these are top spies on a mission. And none, like, none of these foundations are great. Like, both of them, you know, they have crazy holes in them. Even the start of this perfect relationship, you know, between um, Corey and uh, Pam, it's just weird. All of it is very weird. So you'll just you just look at it and you think, huh? What actually is this? 
you know i don't get it the film also sets up in this in this place where it's using special effects and the special effects aren't great right so you you kind of you know i think when you're showing shoddy special effects it gives you a perception of the film you're just about to watch right so it's a situation I kind of feel that didn't need to happen, right? They didn't need to start off in that, in that way. Now, they could have started off with the same kind of story, but we didn't need to see a guy jump out a plane and all of that. So we didn't need to be given, you know, a peek behind the curtain that, yeah, our special effects are pretty crap. Right, we didn't need to know that. They could have eased us in. And then that kind of comes later on. Where you're so invested in the film, it doesn't really matter, you know? So we had this, and I think, like, a lot of the... Uh, like, the first introduction... Between Corey and Pam. Like they bump into each other. While he's chasing down a a, a mark. And it's. uh, Like that interaction. It's very wooden. It's very wooden. Right. And it's just very cliched. Like we're not even. I don't think we're 10 minutes into the film and we already have so many cliches flying at us. It's a little bit crazy. You know, it's just like there's so many ways you could have, you know, got that interaction out of the way, but you chose that. You know, like, oh, I'm so indignant. And he's looking at her like, oh, you're the one for me. <laughs> you know, so it's just... Oh, it's hard to come back from that. You know, it really is. We then get kind of montages of some dates and all of this. And like a perception from Pam of, oh, I think you're this kind of guy. So then you kind of feel that, you know, Corey is trying to go, no. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm this kind of guy. Which then leads them to fall into this staid existence. But throughout that situation, you never really get a sense that they're in love. You never get a sense of any sort of connection. And you're just kind of thinking over all of this time, Right, over all of this supposed time, how is it like certain questions aren't asked? Because then, when we get into the period, you know, they've been married for a year and things are just stale. Like, certain things are coming up, and it's just like, wait, and you didn't talk about any of this? Like, they don't know each other. So, like, you're just kind of thinking, wait, what's what's been happening? Like, they, they, you know, if they're not even knowing any of the small things, then what's the, 
Huh? So obviously, right, as it says in the blurb, an intervention happens. And the intervention, as always, is like, you've got to come back to work. You've got to, it's going to help us and it's going to help you and bum, 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 bum. And just all of the cover stories, they're all just weird. They're all weird. They don't make sense. And they're only there to create a situation where it all falls apart. And the characters are like, oh, I can't believe you lie. You know, we've seen it all before, people. We've seen it all before. It's just not done that well. You know? We can see some people trying harder than others. Like, I guess Blake Anderson, you know? You you, you see that character... um, He seems to be trying to hold things together. But a lot of the other... Like, there's a lot of... You know, even the interactions between his character and, um, you know, Drew Van Aker's Corey. You wouldn't think that they're, like, these old friends. And that's one of the better... You know, interactions There's just a real lack of chemistry Right, there's a just It's a real lack of chemistry there's a, It's a clunky writing The script Doesn't give us much Right, it, it just doesn't give us much Then you've got um, You know Other characters that are really wooden and you're just thinking, but if you're meant to be, when, how does this, I don't know, right? So, that's what, I mean, that's where the film struggles, right? This, this, you know, I think, just poor script, poor story, wooden acting. That's a big issue, We've also then got music, this music playing in the background all the time. And it's just like, it doesn't, it's not helping. The music isn't helping any of this. Because it's not music to set a scene or set, it's just this weird music. Like, it, what we're seeing, it, it really has that kind of, you know, feel that it wants to be a... B movie, right? It wants to be one of those kind of crazy, quirky B movies that everyone just holds up like, yeah, this is fun, right? This is a fun film, you know, like something like uh, I guess I guess akin to Flash Gordon, right? Not the same genre, but it's like Flash Gordon is so hokey. But it's so fun, you know, it's just, it just works, right, and I think most people you talk to love Flash Gordon, you know, and this wants to be that, it wants to be that sort of film, right, so obviously they didn't have the biggest budget, 
But, you know, they're thinking, all right, let's make it fun. Let's make it kooky. Yeah. And everyone will just love it. And it's just like, no, because you don't have that core thing. Right, the film suffers from having that core thing, just that likability. We have no sense of any of these characters, so we just don't care. You know, you don't care about this marriage between Corey and Pam. You don't care about any of these friendships. You know, then you throw in like another agent, and it's just like, but it doesn't make any sense. Right, just none of the situations make any sense, and they're doing all of these like you know whilst you're doing it like these kooky things to try and like oh make you smile and laugh and all of this like they get on a couple of occasions we get these dance kind of I don't know what you would call them sequences I guess, but it just doesn't fit the film as. Especially the first one, right? The first one makes no sense whatsoever. And at first, I'm thinking what what we're seeing is like a, you know, a, a dream sequence. It'd be like, and then we'll bring, come back to the table and you'd be like, no, actually, we should just do this. You know, and then they'd approach the situation. But no, it's supposedly all of that happened. And you're just like, wait, that makes no sense. And if you're meant to be, un- like, you just, bl- what? Huh? What's happening here? You know, it, it, it's just repeatedly weird situations that don't endear you to the film. They just bring you further away from it. Yeah. That's, I think, well, for me, those were the issues. Right? And then you get this ending, which is just, and it's cliched as hell. Obviously, you know it's coming. Right? You know it's coming. And it makes no sense. It really makes no sense whatsoever. Like, it's also kind of done in a way that they could make more of these. I hope they don't, you know. But I guess if it was a huge success, yes, you could make more. And it's just a bit like, okay, all right, that's what we decided to do. Um... Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously, I kind of figured this film is not for me, you know, but it's, you know, I guess it's along the lines of stuff like I Spy, you know, like, if you think about it, the, the like, Kingsman, that's pretty quirky and, you know, like, weird things thrown up in it. To kind of be like, oh, look, we're mocking James Bond and all of this kind of thing. You know, you got um that Melissa McCarthy spy film, um, Get Smart, like you know stuff like Spy Kids, like Johnny English. 
Like, these are all films that I think, for me, probably did it better. But I would say, if you like those films, right, I think this, you know, this is your sort of film, right? If you really enjoyed those films, like The Spy That Dumped Me, you know, again, that's very kind of much in the vein of what spy intervention is. Right, so if you really enjoyed those films, you know, Brothers Grimsby and the, the like of that, if, if those make you chuckle, smile, you know, you could watch them on repeat, then Spy Intervention, yo, you're going to love it. That, and I don't really like any of those films I've just mentioned. So, yes, you can see that this... Hey, it's not for me. So the issues I have with it, you probably won't. Yeah? I mean, I think there's a lot of films with, like, this weird dance sequences and people love. Right? So, yes, I would say, if you're a fan, right, of those sort of films I've mentioned, then check out Spy Intervention. And you can do that. On Monday the 27th of July That is when it is out Um, So you'll be able to get it from, you know All your usual spots Right, so, uh, you know iTunes, Amazon, Google Virgin Media, Sky Store, Sony Um, Yeah, all of those all of those places, um, I believe on iTunes it's $7.99, you know, for the HD version, so yeah, there'll be, um, links in the episode details, so, uh, yeah, people, if it seems like it's your sort of film, I mean, just check out the trailer, that will give you an inkling, right, but yeah, if it seems like it's your sort of thing, Go check it out, right? Okay, great stuff. Okay, so just watched Legionnaire's Trial, otherwise known as The Legion. Um, so the film is from Jose Magan, um, and it's his first feature. He's worked, you know, he's produced stuff. You know, but yeah, this is his first time, yeah, doing the big job, right? Um, now, he, it seems he came with the story, right? Um, but the screenplay was from Carmen Balestras and Pedro Santa Maria. Along with C.J. Wells and Alberto Vaquez Figueroa. Uh, the film, um, I mean, the main person we see, right? The the two main, really, people we see is um, Lee Partridge, Mickey Rourke, and Joaquim Del Almeida. Um, and then we also have kind of you know, floating around, um, 
Vladimir Kuch, uh, Bei Ling, Maskim Mativ, Basco Hogan, Mark Aron, um, and Marta Castellavi. Okay, so the gist of um, gist of the film is this. Okay, because it delves into the story of Nero's reign. Okay, um, the invasion of Parthia has been a fiasco. Two Roman legions have been brought to a standstill in the snowy mountains of Armenia, and the men are dying slowly in the cold. The rest of the Roman army are in Syria, only two weeks' march away, but the mountains swarm with Parthian patrols. Nero, sorry, Norino, a half-Roman, is entrusted the mission of crossing the mountains to ask for help. However, he might not be the best option. He's an expert runner, but he despises Rome. So, yes, that is... Yeah, that's the gist of the film. So, the film starts off... With um, Mickey Rourke, right? So we get, um, you know, Carublo, his character, he's in a dark room, you know, he's drinking and he's talking to a statue of Nero, venting, right? So we, we understand from this moment, right, that there's, as I guess we know from you know, just Roman history, and just politics in general, right, he's, um, you know, he's not a fan of the general in charge of this mission, and he feels slighted that he wasn't asked, you know, and, and we get this line, you know, I hope the fate of this is on the nameless soldier, rather than the people entrusted to win, right, so we, we've already kind of been, you know, given an idea of what's, what's happening, so then we go to, um, Paitus, right, Hakim de Ameda, and, you know, so we just learned that the, um, you know, the enemy has offered, you know, offered a solution, asking for his surrender, but they won't accept it, right, so they're just thinking, our best hope, our only hope is to ask for help, but I I hate Carublo, and I don't want to do it, but fine, fine, (sighs) what are we going to do? And they're talking, and it's just like, oh, we sent messengers out, but, you know, they're getting killed by, you know, the enemy in the woods and whatnot. But there's only, there's one solution, right? We could send some men to go this really dangerous route, right? And the enemy won't think of, you know, looking there because you'd be insane to try it. And he's just like, oh, who could we, who could we send? He's like, I know one man. Who is he? 
The Rebel. The Rebel, right? And, yeah, so they kind of work out, okay, so he's not really a proper, you know, he's half Roman, right? So he's been, he was kind of inscripted, you know, in a different way, um, but, which is, you know, in the bio, it's like, oh, he despises Rome, but they're like, oh, but he's a legionnaire. So if you give him an order, he will follow it through and through. And it's like, mm, some rebel then, right? And, uh, you know, so <laughs> we have him right there, right? And we then have, uh, you know, Paitus talking to Marcus, his help, his hand. And, um, you know, Marcus calls in the rebel, Otherwise known as Norino. And Norino's like, oh, but why me? And he's just like, look, there are younger people. There are better people. But you've just got an ability to survive. And so I'm like, okay. But then, you know, now we've got him and two others running through the woods. Being chased. And that's kind of, now we're in it, right? Because the mission is to deliver this message, this sealed message to Carublo. Um, so, yeah, they're running through the woods and one of the party stops. You know, because it's just like they can't outrun these people. I, I don't know if he's expecting the other two to help fight, but they hide and then they leave him. And... Right, so this is the thing. They're trying to trying to show us that, like, you know, by any means necessary, we must get this, you know, across. But it's like we lose the two supporting people real early, right? Real early. So then it's Narino on his own going through, and. We we never see the legions, right? We never see these trap legions. We never really see their plight. Like, you know, we hear Paitus and Marcus talking. And the weird thing is, right, they're like, oh, we've probably got two days left of food. they got two days left of food. But to do this mission, it's going to take several days to get there. Then the army has to march. They were told they're two weeks away. So the time they get there, everyone's probably going to be, it's just like the the numbers make no sense. The numbers just make no sense of the mission. We don't see the army. We get this weird effect so from the transition of the scene at the very beginning with Kalubo, we then get this weird kind of graphic of um, the camera speeding through a nighttime camp. And you're meant to have these effects of these of fires by tents, but it's it's not a very good graphic. Right? So we don't and even then. Like, you think you've probably seen, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 tents. 
Like, we, we don't get the impression that there's thousands of tents. Right, because, you know, there's, a, there's some, le- these legions are trapped. And a legion, it, it's meant to be between three and 6,000 troops. Right, so if you've got several legions there, there's meant to be a mass of people. So we don't get the sense of of this vast number of people who are in jeopardy, other than the words that were being told. We then, you know, we 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 have these people running through the, these woods. To start off their mission. Being pursued. But the two of them get killed off real quick. So it's just. uh, Like the gravity. The tension. It's just not there. You know. It's not really there. And we're seeing this guy. You know. We're getting told. Oh. You know. they, They kind of really play him up. He's like. Who can we send on this mission? The rebel. But what we're seeing is just this guy. Because we're told he's an excellent climber and he's an excellent fighter. Right? But the climb, the climb he has to do, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it seems worse than free solo, right? And when you watch Free Solo, right, the the way that, you know, doing that climb, it's described, like, that you, there can't be any mistakes, you have to be real focused, you have to be calm, you know, centred, and, you know, there's times you, you just have to stop, you know, reserve your energy, and then go again. But this guy, the the climb, it's just like, you know, frantically coming, going up the cliff and he's trying to avoid getting caught. And we're seeing, you know, you know, nearly falling several times and all of this. And it's just like, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it, It doesn't make any sense. Add to that. We then now they start to add in this, you know. Voiceover, which is Norino doing his own voiceover. He's just like, "Don't look down, don't look back." And then we, then straight away, we have him look down and look back. He's like, "Wait, what? Huh?" But looking back and looking down, it it it's not then a you know a sense of fear or dread. It's just like, eh, okay. And you're like, wait, what? You know, so just from this scaling of the mountain, the the fact that, you know, it has no, no momentum behind it. There's no energy. You don't feel the tension or, 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 or anything like that. We don't even know, we're not invested in the character himself, so we don't care, right, and this is a big thing, they haven't built the investment, right, because as I said, look, we don't see the camp of starving men, 
you know, freezing, trying to survive. Right? We don't know anything about Narino, otherwise, other than he's known as the rebel. Right? So we don't know anything about any of these people. We just know Carublo and um, Paitas hate each other. That's it. That's all we really know. You know? So, yeah, he scales the cliff. And then, you know, we have him running to try and, and get to other places. And for someone that is, is claimed he's a great runner, right? And he knows the mountains. He knows how to survive. Someone that's meant to know how to survive, he's making so much noise. So much noise. It's insane. Right? You're just like, wait, you know this place is meant to be swarming with enemy, but we've got him like making these weird, like y- yipping and y- you know, just moaning noises all the time. And you're just like, wait, what what are you what are you doing? Like, what's happening here? So we have all of this. And throughout, we sometimes, you know, cut back to Kurubo, you know, in his dark, dark room, venting, and all of this. And then we cut back to uh, Narino running. Um, Now, what is a really, I think the thing that really helps this film is like the, the visuals, right? We have some great kind of visuals of landscapes and you know the scenery like that all looks great right and i will say that that you know the costume design and everything like that they've done a decent job you know like we do get a sense of you know like the everything everyone's wearing it it seems seems kind of authentic and it kind of looks kind of grubby and all of this you know, but the film itself is just flat, it's really flat, and we just get some token resistance thrown in, like, oh, this Pazoo is now trying to get him, you know, he has to fight several times, but for someone who we're told is an excellent fighter, the fighting is awful, like, the fighting scenes is it's not good, it really isn't, I think we saw better fighting in Highlander, the TV series, you know what I mean, it's just kind of, it looks so scrappy, like he, it looks like he's gonna drop his sword at any moment, every time, and so we have that, and there's moments of like, you know, he he stops a woman from being raped, and then there's a, this kind of thing around it, and it's a scene that you just think, why is this here? What does it add to the film? Because you kind of feel that they want to add this love moment, but it just feels very forced and all of that, and then they're just like, actually, no, we won't, right? So we have these moments and then they throw in this kind of moment with uh, a a guy who's a Christian and it's just all, it all feels very forced. 
It really does. So, like, just the premise is flat, right? The execution is flat. And then you have to add on top the dialogue. The dialogue is, it's not very good. It's very wooden and clunky. It it just, it makes no sense. You know, the way these people are interacting and talking, it just doesn't work. Like, Patridge, who is leading this film, you know, everything is resting on his performance and ability to sell us on, you know, this character's plight. It's just, you feel that he's just not confident. Just not confident at all at the, you know, the pressure he's being put under, right? Oh, I I don't feel I can lead this film. I don't know. I don't know if I, I I'm not sure I remember my lines. I was just like, oh, oh, I feel uncomfortable. That's what he resonates, right? Nothing else. He just resonates this uncomfortableness at being the lead of this film. It is kind of crazy, right? It, it just, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't work. It really doesn't. I mean, Mickey Rourke, right? Mickey Rourke brings an energy. Now, yeah, I think we all know Mickey Rourke over the last few years, he does mumble and, you know, eat the lines a lot. But he does inject this... Uh, you know, vibe to the film that no one else can really match. So even though he sings, they've done them in this dark room and it's very freaking difficult to see what's going on, right? Through all of that, at least, right? At least they have something to them. Because all this other stuff, ugh, like, there's one point where, the, you know, this guy confronts another guy who's killed his wife and all of this, but it just doesn't have that energy to it, you know, for, for someone that's done all of this, it's just like, oh, yes, this is my land. Your wife stepped on my land, so I killed her. You killed my wife, you must pay. It, 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 the lines are like that. It's just... Uh, you, you left scratching your head. Right, so then the film, you know... Oh, like it finishes, and even when it finishes, right? And everything is done, and all of this... And you're, you're meant to be like, ah, awesome. But you're just like, ah. Because we don't see this rousing conclusion or anything. It's, it's just not great. It's just disappointing. It's, it's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame because you think, right, this mission... It's the equivalent of the race to marathon. You know, 
which happened around 300, it, it, it's that, it could have been something really interesting, really epic, but it, it's, it's not, like we can tell it's a low budget film, and they're trying to do all these little tricks, you know, but they just, it just doesn't work, you don't have investment, and without investment, how are you meant to, you know, be stick with it, right, how are you meant to feel for the characters, you think the way Russell Crowe, you know, brings Maximus to life in Gladiator, you're just with that character all the way through, even with things like Spartacus, the TV series, like Andy Whitmore in the first season, like, yeah, there's a lot wrong with that TV show, like the CGI blood, you're just like, what are they doing, but Whitmore does deliver a great performance as Spartacus, and if your lead character cannot sell you on what's happening, it's hard for anything else to work, right, that's the big shame of it, um, now, listen, if you like, you know, uh, these kind of, like the Roman films, like we had, what, the, the eagle, um, no, the this is it the twelfth legion or something like that from you few years back. Uh, you know, Gladiator, obviously. You know, then you know, throwing films like Troy and Kingdom of Heaven. Now, if those sort of things are your bag, if you like that sort of thing, you might want to give this a look. You know, if you enjoyed books from Simon Scarrow and Cone Ingleson, right? You might have a peak of interest. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It depends, people. It really does depend. But it is out for you to watch digitally on Monday, the 27th. And then the DVD will be dropping um, the following week on the 3rd. Okay, so, yeah, you know, watch the trailer. It's in the um, episode details. And that will give you a vibe on, you know, if this is going to be for you or not. Okay, so that is Legionnaire's t Trial, otherwise known as The Legion, by Jose Magon. Um, starring Lee Partridge, Mickey Rourke, Joaquim de Amalda, um, Bailing, and Vladimir Koch. Okay, so The Pool is a film by Ping Lump Rap Long, um, who also wrote the feature and it's now coming to Shudder, well, it's come to Shudder, it is now available there, right, the film is starring, uh, Faraji Wong Papapan and Ratanamom Ratchi Faram, um, 
they're our main cast. We see a few other people at the very beginning, but yeah, that that that's the kind of the main one. Because this is it's a simple type of feature, but with bite. <laughs> Let's say that. Alright, so the story um revolves around Day, who is um that's Faraji, um, and he's an insecure art director of a commercial production company, and is left alone to clear up a six-meter-deep deserted pool after the shooting of a short film. Um, that I think his dog is a part of, and. Um, you know, after production, everyone clears out, and he decides to hang out in the pool for a little while, right, so, um, he's in the pool, chilling, and his friend tells him that he has, um, started to drain, right, um, and then he leaves, uh, so he's, um, Day then, you know, continues chilling in the pool. He falls asleep on an inflatable raft um, due to unbearable fatigue. He wakes up again and the water level has sunk so low that he can no longer reach the edge of the pool and climb out on his own. He screams for help, but the only thing that hears him is some creature from a nearby crocodile farm. Dum dum dum. So yeah, he's there. You know, that. Well, the film starts off, and I have to say, I wasn't going to watch this, right? Because um, I realized it was subtitled, but. With the way the film started, because at the beginning I didn't know it was something like this. The opening sequence is so horrifying. It's so horrifying that you kind of be. I need to know what happens now, right? So I had a quick fast forward through, and I saw, okay, it seems there's not a lot of dialogue. Right, so I stuck with it, and yeah, it's I couldn't read all the subtitles, but I kind of figured out what was going on. I feel without having to read them all, and so yeah, we have this horrifying opening moment, and then the film jumps back six days, right? So now they're shooting the film. Right, so, uh, you know, the film is utilising this pool and some underwater sequences. You know, there's a couch at the bottom of the pool, all of this. Um, And I think his dog, Lucky, is a part of the film. Right, so we have all of this. um, And then at one point, his girlfriend comes by and she's like, Oh, I really want to dive in the pool. Can I dive in the pool? And he's just like, No. You're going to get me sacked, right? Because they've got this, you know, big diving board. And so he tells her no, 
right? So then the shooting of the film is finished, and um, he's left to kind of clear up. So he's just chilling in the pool, as I mentioned, and one of his friends, I feel that's working on the film with him somehow, um, he's let him know that, yeah, he started the process to drain this huge pool, and he chains his dog up, because he's just like, oh, it could get in danger, you know, so he then... Instead of leaving the pool, he falls asleep, right? So, the film does a lot of crazy shit. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff that you're like, oh, really? Like, how do we get here? So, I think the premise is ridiculous. But, you're then intrigued, right? Because, for some reason, he stays in the pool. Right, when you kind of know that the pool's being drained and there's no way out, if there's no water in the pool, on your own, that is, there's no way out on your own, you would kind of think that, alright, I'm I'm not going to stay in a pool that is draining, but obviously, he does, and he falls asleep in the pool just to wake up with, I think, his dog's barking. And then he realises, fuck, can't, there's no way for me to get out, can't get out. So he's trapped, and he's doing all manner of things to try and escape. You know, he he tries to stand on the inflatable, which you know that's not going to work. Especially when it's an inflatable that doesn't seem to be fully inflatable, inflated. So he's doing this, trying to get on the edge, and he slips, hurts his finger, and so he, yeah, he's stuck, right, so um, he's then, he's got diabetes as well, right, so I think that might be a reason he's falling asleep at the beginning, but again, subtitles, wasn't sure, uh, But, uh, yeah, he's asleep again at one moment. And his girlfriend's come by. And so she's seen he's asleep in the pool. For some reason, she doesn't notice the water's gone all the way down. But, yeah, she's like, oh, he can't stop me from diving in now. So she's on the board. He's running across the board to just about to dive and he wakes up and he shouts like no which makes her for some reason falter she slips smashes her head falls into the pool right so now she's in the pool unconscious he uh, gets her out puts her in the inflatable and um yeah they're like oh what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, shit. Be- no, before that. Before that. Because there is a point in the film at the beginning, right? And so this is while the music video is going on or the film, whatever it is. Uh, and we see a newspaper article. Newspaper kind of blow through. And on the newspaper is like a crocodile has escaped. Like police are looking for this crocodile. So at one point, the crocodile, obviously, it appears and it goes into the pool. 
he doesn't really know because this happens at night and we do see the crocodile kind of go past his feet underwater which yeah kind of hair raising but it doesn't attack him right so but he then realizes oh there's a crocodile in the pool so when his girlfriend jumps in and she's on the raft yeah he's he's now having to keep her safe and himself safe and she's currently unconscious um so now the pool the water has gone all the way down and there is a moment where this crocodile is kind of just chilling, mouth open, and you feel it's asleep. But it's got a roll of duct tape just sitting on its mouth. And he has the idea of, oh, I could maybe stop my girlfriend's head bleeding with duct tape. So then we see him looking and thinking of how he can get this duct tape out of this crocodile's mouth. And I think we've all seen those videos on YouTube where someone sticks their hand or head and then the crocodile shuts its teeth. So there's a lot of hair-raising moments around that. And so then the film is all about escaping, right? All about how can we get away from this? And there's also the added problem, right? His girlfriend's got the head injury. He's got diabetes so he needs his insulin shots and they're trapped so how are they going to survive when there's a crocodile in there now the thing this crocodile you know because we've seen plenty of films with crocodiles and they're like bloodthirsty and all of this which it does seem to go in the face of what we've seen on nature programs i kind of feel that one if a crocodile has eaten doesn't need feeding for a long ass time um but yeah they're, so they're trying to escape and they're trying a number of different things to do right everything obviously is going wrong you know they like there's a point where a pizza guy comes by, like this drone's there, and the pit guys come to try and get the drone after a point, and there's all of these things that help to build the tension. Because I have to say, right, although it's a, you know, it's a silly idea for a film, but. To be able to capture your attention for, oh, I think it's um, just over an hour and a half, right? So to keep your attention for this period of time when there isn't really a much of a change in the scenery, you know, we've basically got two characters, well, Four, if you count the crocodile and the dog, right? So you've only got this small number of characters in a confined space, but you are kind of intrigued. And that's, you know, you got to give your, um, you know, hat to the guy for being able to do this. That's kind of impressive. 
because you are improved, right? And now, look, anything you can imagine goes wrong. You know, all the different attempts, they're failing, and then situations kind of, like, when you think, oh, they could escape now, and it doesn't happen, and you're just like, what are you doing? Like, huh? So, you're watching it, and, yeah, you're, you're cut, you're gripped, you're gripped, and there is a good few moments where I'm on the edge of my seat and I am like, (laughs) no, 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 no. Yeah, it had me. It had me. But that's what I mean. Like, look, I couldn't, I caught some words on the subtitles, but not a lot, but I was still locked in. So this film, hey, it does a great job at doing that. And, um, yeah, we get the crazy, silly ending that you would kind of expect from a film where two people are trapped in a pool with a crocodile. <laughs> yeah, the ending does seem to fit this type of film. It's kind of stupid. It's, a, it's definitely a little sad. Definitely a little sad for someone Um, And Yeah There is a bit where um, Chumps the shark (laughs) But yeah Look I gotta give it up to this film though Right Because it's obviously a low budget feature But yeah It was More enjoyable Than other films I've watched, and even, um, like, big budget, or bigger budget, (laughs) you know, kind of monster, shark, crocodile type films, so, yeah, I would say this is worth a look, right, um, and if you, you know, a film that this did remind me of, there's a film called Buried with Ryan Reynolds where he's in a coffin. So we've just got him in a coffin for all the film. And we've got some flashbacks and stuff like that. But it's essentially just him in the coffin. And this, yeah, obviously they're different settings. But just the confines of the films and the way they dealt with those small spaces, it kind of reminded me of that, but I would say, people, if you enjoyed, um, stuff like, uh, you know, Lake Placid and its sequels, um, Black Water, Primeval, Crawl, if you like stuff like that, you know, and then the the many things that we find on, uh, you know, sci-fi channel. Was it like um, Crocnado? Um, you know, all of those sort of films. If you enjoy that sort of, you know, monster scare flick, then I would probably say the pool is for you. Now, obviously, it's gonna be, you know. Different to those films because these ones are usually out and about, right? 
well, I mean, Lake Placid kind of says it all. Oh, it's in a lake. But, um, yeah, this, I, I would say, probably say if you enjoyed those, then I think, yeah, you will get behind Paul. So, as I said, it is out now on Shudder. So, if you've got Shudder, people, go check it out. If you don't have Shudder, check the details of the episode and you'll find a um, a code for a 30-day free trial. Okay? So, um, yeah, give it a go. You know, it's subtitled, right? So, yeah, not easy for myself, but if subtitles are fine for you, you're golden. And if you can't do subtitles, I got the film without having to read them. So, uh, yeah, Sh- it, the pull, and it's on Shudder now, people. Okay, so, Life With Music, otherwise known as Coda, is the new film from director Claude Lalund. It was written by Louise Godot, um, and it's starring Patrick Stewart as Henry Cole, Katie Holmes as Helen Morrison, and Jean Giancarlo Espoioto, who plays Paul, Henry's manager. Um, there are a few other kind of people that pop in and out. Uh, Lieta Brooks plays Maya, and Drew Davis plays her son Daniel. Um, but yeah, the the main real cast of this is uh, Henry, Helen, and Paul. Uh, the film was produced by Nicholas Camus. Um, the cinematography is Guy Dufos. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of, they're the main players here, oh, and I would say probably that Guy Pelleter, um, handled music, so the, um, the gist of the film is this, okay, so Henry Field, who's, um, you know, played by Stuart, is an acclaimed concert pianist, and one of the great versiosos of his era. Upon returning to the stage, after a prolonged absence, he finds himself suddenly afflicted with a severe case of stage fright. His once effortless play has abruptly turned into a self-conscious struggle of every bar. Old wounds have crept up on the master as he now fights to ward off artistic disaster. Enter Helen Morrison, a music critic with a kindred spirit and a troubled past of her own. Helen believes she might hold the key to Henry's return to form, but she must first overcome his defences and win his trust. As Henry's condition starts to improve, the blossoming relationship takes an unexpected turn which could precipitate his downfall. 
unless he finally faces his demons and the darker truth lurking beneath the glory of the stage. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, it's not quite like that, I would say, because, you know, it's not really, we're not shown a, a stage fright that affects him, you know, every single time, you know, how he describes it is that he can lose concentration, and then it's hard to refocus back on what he's doing, you know, so that, that's kind of what it is, rather than, you know, he can't play any note, and he's struggling, you know, it's just a concentration kind of thing, as he would describe it, uh, you know, I think, it's a, it's a weird thing, right, there's certain things in life that capture us, you know, like music, nature, colour, you know, they're key things, they're, they're all things that we can form these connections with, you know, and they're all things that can tie themselves to memory, you know, tie themselves to experience, trigger things in ourselves, you know, help us remember, help us reflect, just invoke certain emotions, and this film, it does a, a really nice job with, I think all of them, you know, all of them play a part, and all of them are, I kind of feel, are handled extremely well, you know, like, um, we get these shots of nature, that sometimes, we get a spanning shot, sometimes an aerial shot, you know, sometimes it kind of zooms in, or it will zoom out, but every time, it, it, it's done with a certain effect, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say they're pretentious shots, they do seem to add something to the story, and they're often accompanied with music, you know, for, it just feels like it's the right music, you know, it's a funny thing, and then colour, colour is definitely something that is utilised within this, you know, we suddenly, we, we see these, you know, bright, bright patches, you know, these, these things that will infuse this moment, like, sometimes it's flowers, sometimes it's just the greenness of the grass or foliage, you know, but, yeah, they're these sparks of colour that really, I don't know, it brings something out, you know, and all of these things, they... They do something to your watching, something to your enjoyment of the film, you know, 
it kind of helps guide you through it, right? Um, like the film starts with uh, Katie Holmes narrating, um, like just something about philosophy. And then we go into Henry playing at a concert. And as he's sitting at the piano, you know, hands guiding across the keys, you can see that something is happening, right? There's a, there's a kind of a tension, uh, a, a, a stress, something building. There's like the sweat is forming on his brow, and it, it, it feels like there's an escalation to something. And afterwards, you know, he finishes and rushes outside to get his breath. So we know there's something that's going on, right? There's an undercurrent here. As he then goes back, you know, he, he, he goes back on stage. He's looking at the piano. And then we're into a press room. Um, and so we get the indication that there wasn't an encore. Right? So I don't, we don't know how he extricated himself from that moment. But he did. And, you know, he, he, he gives this kind of... This nice little answer to a question. But then he does kind of... Give a truthful one as well. Um, but he does it in a kind of a playful fashion. But within all of this. You get the the forming of a bond with Helen. Right. So she then goes back to his. You know. His. Uh, dressing room. And they have a conversation. And, you know, the film is moving and, and we go to another concert and all of this. Uh, and we definitely see there's an issue. Um, he's at a, a kind of, I don't know, a, a, a piano testing or something. The issue happens and Helen helps him. And then he kind of perceives that he needs an anchor. He needs something to help him. Right? And and so that's what Helen kind of becomes. And we go through this film. And it's all very... It's all very subtle. You know? And it kind of just glides through. You know? The issues and we get some backstory not a lot right not overly you know verbose on information but we do find out some things eventually right so Henry relates some stuff and then other stuff comes Via other sources. But, you know, something unfolds. So we get this understanding. And then we find out a little bit about Helen. Just a little bit. 
Because there are definitely things that aren't told. You know, there's stuff that we don't know. There's chapters that go unread, as it were. But it's not overly important. You know what I mean? And I I, I think the film is just showing us this bond, this connection, um, this second journey, as it were. And the music is there to fill in these gaps. And yeah, it, it it just it's nice. It works, it's easing, it's calming. Um there is a you know I think there's this thing that happens in the film, right? Um well I I think there's a couple um, a couple, maybe three moments. Like we get Helen you know, giving out some information on her past, right, so we get that, with then, you know, uh, a a question about a possibility, right, so there is this, and then, you know, with, with Henry about to go do something else, there is a moment, and you think at that moment, you know something, you like, you just like, okay, right, because the first thing, you know, that gives you an indication, right, you get an understanding that this thing may happen, we may see this thing, but not in the guise of which it is being put out there, we then with this other moment and you understand and then there is this other thing and I think when you, you're hearing the music and it's the way the sun is there and then you really and, and then you just know that's the time it's happening right and I do think like all of that is very obvious Right, you the thing, this turning point, it's very obvious that it's gonna happen. You know, I think especially to the reaction to something that is said. And I mean I do think that's a little bit of a shame. You know, because I, I think there's probably ways of getting that thing without it being as obvious, I would say, you know, but I don't think it, it wasn't too detrimental to the film, right, because it is an, like, it's an easy flowing film that isn't really bogged down on this kind of intricate, faceted story. Like, because the story itself is pretty loose. It's pretty loose, and we're not, you know, there's not a whole lot holding it together. And what I mean is, like, there's a lot of information that we don't know, 
And I think the way it's being told and the way the music intertwines throughout, you like you can let it all pass. You know, like it's one of those films that you will, you know, you will let it be. Right? You definitely there are questions. You know, there are questions. Because at one point you do wonder um, about something which is then affirmed and you're like, okay, right, okay, all right, fine, whatever. And it just doesn't really matter, you know what I mean? Because it's just, yeah, it's just an easy flowing it's a film that you can absorb, right? And it may connect with you, but it's only going to do it on this kind of deep resonating scale. Something that isn't obvious on the surface, but there will be things that make you think, make you smile and wonder. But it's all deep down, it's all subconscious level kind of thing. And that's fine, right? Not everything has to be this tax on the imagination and the mind that makes you wonder and look at life and think, hmm, why are we here? <laughs> you know? Um, but, yeah, I, I, it, 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 it's nice. The film is nice because you know we end doing the thing that you kind of always knew was going to happen in some context, and then it goes, you know, to the crowning moment that was always going to be there, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't overemphasize it, and I think that's good, right. I mean, it does play it up a little when, you know, we ha we have these kind of, ah, uh, and these people and these people and these people are checking in as well. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, we didn't necessarily have to do that to look at the footsteps, you know, the fingerprints, as it were, you know, the veins that he's, he's left. But... That's all fine, right? That's all fine. Um, the acting was pretty good. You know, it, it's kind of a very underplayed kind of film in that regard. Uh, yeah, I, I, we do see that, uh, because I think Patrick Stewart always comes off as very refined. And even when he's being rude, <laughs> it is done in a very civil kind of way, <laughs> like, Katie Holmes can be very hit and miss, and she is pretty good in this, you know, like, I think there is a moment, um, that does come off as very smug, when, you know, the, the kind of air in the room isn't that, right, and I think there is another moment where she gives this, uh, uh, I don't know, just this 
this this grim, this pompous kind of grin. But other than those two things, and they aren't lingering. They, you know what I mean? It isn't these long moments. They are very minimal. But yeah, other than those couple of things, she does play her part. You know, she does play it nicely. It does fit in. Right, because you know it could be overbearing, it could be overshadowing, but it it, it isn't. It does fit in with Stuart and kind of work on that level. Now, um, Paul, you know, like um, the manager, right? That that's good, right? I think Giancarlo, you know, he does a good job. In that role. Because. Uh, it, it, it needs to be. You know. The friend. But also the person. Trying to push certain things to happen. And try and manoeuvre it. And get it going. Um, and he does convey all of those things. You know, so he did that. I think he does a good job there. And the gentleman that plays Felix as well. As a, as it was another. You know just. Well balanced performance, right? Um, so yeah, I think life with music. It is one of those films that's just, is 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 a nice film. Like it's ninety six minutes, right? So it's not crazy long. Um, it's not fast paced, but. You know, the flow of the film is very consistent. And when, you know, you have the slower moments, they are kind of balanced out with the music. So it all works. You know what I mean? All kind of, there's a synergy in it. And that's always nice. So, yeah, I you know, I don't think... You know, it's not a film that's going to, um, you know, change any lives. But it is a film that, you know, does warm the heart. Right? It's just, it's a nice film. So, yeah, I would say that, yeah, for those that like those kind of underplayed, quiet, but charming, uh, features, you know, people that enjoy the, the, you know, there's a film that isn't in your face, I think this is something that you will, yeah, I think it's something that you will enjoy, you know what I mean, so yes, if you like things like I don't know, My Life Without Me, you know, the Before Trilogy, Station Agent, like just those kind of quieter type of films, then yes, check this out, um, and you will be able to on Monday the 27th of July, okay, so um, yeah, it's available on just all the usual platforms, Um, so Yeah.
That's Life With Music, otherwise known as Coda. I'd say give it a check. Okay, people, so the um, best-selling book, How to Build a Girl, has now been adapted into a feature film. And, hey, who better to write the script but the author of the book? That's right. So, Caitlin Moran was, um, yeah, she wrote the book and she adapted it for film. It was produced by Alison Owen and Deborah Haywood and directed by Koki Gidrick. Okay, so the film, it stars Beanie Fidston, Paddy Constantine, Sarah Solmini, Alfie Allen, Frank Delane, Laurie Kynaston, Arizan Keen, uh, Tagig Murphy, Ziggy Heath, Bobby Shelfield, Chris O'Dord, Joanna Scanlon, and Emma Thompson. The music is by Ollie Julian, and the signature. The cinematography, even, is Herbert Takzanowski. Okay, so, um, the gist of the film is this. It's 1993, and there's only way for a curvy, bright, funny, working-class 16-year-old, played by uh, Feedston, to break out of her tiny crowded house in Wolverhampton and go on the somehow noble sex quest she desires to reinvent herself as a swashbuckling, top hat wearing rock critic Dolly Wilde and explode all over London. The only question is was Dolly Wilde the right girl to build? Hmm, that is the question, right? So, um, hey, this is a nice film, you know, it's a nice film. Um, I, there are things in it that I, you know, I mean, are a little problematic, but it is a nice film. So, we open up. With, uh, you know, Joanna um, That's Feedston's character You know, she's pondering the world Right, she's at school in the library Looking out the window Just, you know She loves books She loves literature She can quote Ulysses But she can't find a date And she doesn't know how she can, you know, branch out of Wolverhampton. How she can fulfill her dreams. And she's got dreams, right? She loves to write. Her English teacher is trying to get her to rein it in. Because a one-page essay turns into, you know, a a 33-page novella. 
So she enters a poetry competition and she's selected, right? So she gets to go on TV. The problem is she can write, but she isn't used to performing or performing live in front of, you know, all the people that will be tuning in. So it doesn't go well. Right, it flops, and from the things that she says, there's a ripple effect, which does impact the family a little bit, as well as herself, you know, as a reputation that isn't great at school, it can go lower, and it does, right, so she feels like she's at her lowest, she wants to just be swallowed up by the world, and she, yeah, doesn't know what to do. And her brother, Chrissy, he suggests, because he's just seen that a music magazine in London wants a writer, right? And, um, you know, he has his own fanzine, you know, his own little magazine that he puts together. But he doesn't want to apply for it because he feels it's selling out, even though he knows the subject matter. He likes rock music. So she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try. So she sends in a review. Uh, Not a review of a uh, a rock album. It's a different kind of review. So she gets invited to the offices of the magazine. D-M-E. So obviously it's a play on... NME, the well-known music publication, um, right, so she goes to London, and the story kind of goes from there, right, because at first, yeah, they fit, the magazine thinks it's a joke, right, she turns up, and they realise, oh, it's real, but what she wrote Isn't really anything aligned to what they do. The thing is, you know, um, Shoanna, she has her own guardian angels. I mean, she's created those guardian angels, obviously, but they give her inspiration, right? They help her kind of try and do new things. You know, she has literary figures. You know, the Bronte sisters. um, Frida. I just, uh, you know, Ulysses. A whole heap of people who she has plastered all over her wall. And, you know, so she uses people like that. And she's in the toilet at the enemy. She doesn't know what to do. She feels dejected. There's a poster of Bjork on the wall. And Bjork joins her pantheon of heroes. And gives her the kick up the butt. To go in and seize what she wants. So that's what she does. And from that she's given an opportunity. Like, given an opportunity. So they let her write reviews. Uh, because no one wants to go to Birmingham and review the Manic Street Preachers. And can you blame them, people? Can you? 
But from there, she's born. You know, she creates a persona, Dolly Wilde. So the how to build a girl from the title is how do you escape, right? That's the kind of thing here with this film. How do you escape? How do you achieve what you've always wanted? You know, sometimes you have to reinvent yourself. Or it's not so much reinvent yourself as in giving yourself a pseudonym. You know, just inventing a whole new person. But it's thinking about what you actually want and how you can do that. Right? That's the whole thing. You know, it's gaining experience. So, you know, now she's writing and she's loving it. She's going and she's reviewing all of these things, going to all these gigs. You know, her dad's taking her along because she is underage, right? So we're going on all of this and she wants to write a feature and she hassles them and finally is allowed to write a feature of a singer called John Kite. Who's played by Alfie Allen. And um, yeah, gotta say, Allen does a good job here. You know, there was times in Games of Thrones, and you do what he did wonder: is he an Orlando Bloom? You know, is he just one note? But he does, you know, he, he gives this a nuanced performance that it needs, right? So she does, she goes and gives this review, she writes it, because he doesn't want to give an interview, he wants to give her experience, because, you know, she tells him, I've never been on a plane, I've never been abroad, I've never, you know, so he's just like, ah, why are we sitting here, and he takes her out, so she writes this feature, and the magazine are like, what the fuck is this? Because it's not really a feature. You know, it's not a feature, should we say, that would be going in a rock magazine. You know? It could go in something else, but not that. And, you know, the, the joke was at the start that Just 17 is on the floor above. And, yes... What she wrote probably could have gone in just 17. So, from that, you know, like, enemy isn't giving her any calls. Doesn't know what to do, right? She thinks her dreams are dead. And then Chrissy, her brother, tells her, you know, sometimes you've got to destroy them, you know? And she goes into enemy. So she goes and she asks a guy there He's like, oh, what do I do? And he's just like, look, we're the gatekeepers We're there to get rid of all the trash So she does, right? But instead of looking at what she wrote And understanding it's not the writing, right? But you didn't do what was asked you know what I mean? You, you, what you did here wasn't to breathe, right? You did something odd, something that won't work within the confines of this. 
So instead of thinking that, looking at that, she uh, yeah does a one eighty, and we see Dolly, who transform herself into the true swashbuckling pirateer that she kind of wants to be, right? But with that comes a lot of other stuff, you know what I mean? And we see a Garner, you know, success. But at the expense of what? You know? That's the big thing. Um, and I think we get some really, really nice performances. Really nice performances here. You know, as especially, I would say, at the, you know, the beginning of the film. Um, you know... Beanie Feedstein, she does a good job at Joanna. Um, then Paddy, Paddy Constine, he's great as a dad. He really is great as a dad. You know, um, I think all the family, you know, Chrissy, so Laurie uh, Kinstassen, you know, he does a really good job as a ma- as uh, her brother. You know, and then um, Cleo, you know, does a really good job as her mum. You know, she it's just, um, no, it's not Cleo, it was Sarah. Sarah Solomini, sorry, apologies. Um, so, yeah, they, you, you really get a sense of family. I mean, that was a great thing here, that the home life, you, you got that understanding of what everyone was going through. Like that struggle. Her dad, you know, he'd always wanted to be a big rock star, but it hadn't really got the breaks. It hadn't quite worked. Right? Her mum, uh, she's just being drained by two twins that weren't expected. She's trying to, it's hard to cope. Her brother, you know, he's dealing with a few things. Trying to find his voice. So we have... They're all great. Then you've got, you know, the enemy. Like, all the guys there. You know, we get some really good performances. And that really does help the film move along. Um, I think where the film does kind of swerve a bit... Is... The whole kind of middle section of the film, um, where we see Dolly just do this transformation, right? Because, as I said, it's it's not really an understanding of, you know, the feature was bad. It was, yeah, you didn't do what was asked. You didn't hit your brief, But instead, she transforms herself into this thing. Right? Into this thing that is not good. And, you know, you know. You know that is going to lead to destruction. Right? And she doesn't care. So she's burning bridges. And we see this thing that happens at the beginning with John. 
And you know that's going to come back, right? And it does. And all because of, yeah, she didn't get her own way, right? And that's one of the big things, you know, there's certain moments in this film were not because there was no opportunity, but because Joanna didn't get her way, right? And that's where it all crashes and burns and falls apart. Now, I think, you know, even with that, it is, you know, it is still done well, right? The film quality doesn't go down, right? I just think the transition could have been handled better. Yo, know, we could have done a better job of showing that wasn't a great thing to do. You know, we, we have an incident happen to Joanna. And you do kind of think that, um, really? Because I have hit my head so many times. So many times. And... Yeah, that doesn't, that did not, I didn't end up in that situation, you know what I mean? But we then see her kind of a rehabilitation, but it's all very neat. You know, I did kind of feel the end of the film was very neat. It all wrapped itself up real nicely. And I'm like, ah, that's. All well and good. But I just think the arc to that. It could have been more. Right? We could have had more here. To really. You know just kind of sell us on this. Because what we kind of see is. Oh you can do this shitty thing. And then you know. Eventually. Hey. You get yours Right It is that kind of And it's kind of funny Because now You know People are looking at things And I kind of do feel that Does Really does Really kind of emphasise White privilege At its core You know The fact that Oh Yeah You just pick You know Pick yourself up And uh, You still Win But it is what it is Right um, as I still think the performances are strong, you know, the performances are still strong, and that's key, right, that's really key, um, I do think that at the very end, you know, the breaking the, uh, fourth wall, um, I think that could have been told within the confines of the film itself, you know, because it, we don't get that anywhere else in the film. So it's kind of odd to have it at the end. Because it's not that it it's not that kind of film. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like that would ever happen. So when it does, it does seem a little out of place. But it is at the very end. And I think the message itself is Kind of, you know, correct. So, you know, whatever, whatever, you feel me? Um, so yeah, 
like I, I do think that the film will definitely resonate with people. You know, so if you oh like if you are a fan of you know coming of age kind of stories like this will sit with you. You know, I think there's what is it, a diary of a a teenage Goth, I think it's something like that I know it, it aired on all four I think like if you're a fan of that Then yeah this This will speak to you I mean even like Adrian Mole um, Geeks, Fongs and Freaks I think that's the film right You know stuff like that That kind of Would speak to that audience Right It's not really like Ladybird, but the same kind of thing, a girl trying to find her way, right, so all of those things, kind of, if you're fans of those sort of films, I think, yeah, you will probably enjoy this, I mean, Bubble, um, Baby Teeth is a fantastic film, um, and, you know, uh, again, I think it's a, probably a stronger film, but I think the audience would kind of match up, right? Um, so, yeah, I think though people that like that, those sort of films, that kind of, if they're looking for that kind of story, then, yeah, I think How to Build a Girl is a, um, is a film for them, you know? Um yeah, I, I think the film, it is enjoyable, you know, it's, like, it doesn't go as far as it could, right, I think it could go further, you know what I mean, because it's not as rebellious as, say, how to talk to girls at parties, right, but you can tell that it's trying to kind of get there And, you know, like we've had Kind of, you know, the journalist trying to break through kind of films Like Almost Famous Which does kind of a better portrayal of that kind of journey A more truthful kind of look at that journey Because you do wonder Right, she's out there in rock clubs And when you've worked and been in the music scene You know, you definitely know that Hey, there's going to be people trying to hit on her And trying to sleep on her before she comes of age Right, but that's not really shown um, And the drugs and the drink Right, they only kind of do it once She's kind of 16 And you think, alright, that's fine I get it, I get it But there is that But I do think it's going to resonate with people You know um, And people, you get to watch this Tomorrow It comes to Amazon Prime Friday the 24th of July So, that's good news Right most people have Amazon Prime um, So yeah, you'll be able to watch it And enjoy it And uh, yeah, just soak it in Right, so um, You know, 
check the trailer, it's in the episode details, and if the review itself just resonates with you, hey, go check it out tomorrow, okay, so that is How to Build a Girl, um, you know, starring Beanie Feedston, Alfie Allen, Paddy Constein, Sarah Salemi, and a host of others, from director Koki Gidrick, and it's based on the best-selling book by Catalin Moran, who also wrote the film. So yeah, people, go, watch, enjoy. Okay, people, so we're drawing to the end of another episode. But before we do that, let's look and see what's happening in the film world, okay? So, um, Paul Thomas Anderson's upcoming film um, will be uh, distributed by MGM, okay? So, um, the film is um, it's set in uh, the 1970s San Fernando Valley. It's a coming-of-age picture, um, and yeah, it's basically dealing with multiple storylines. One of which is a, um, a kid actor attending high school in the valley, right? So um, it hasn't gone into production yet uh, because you know Corona got in the way and all of that. But uh, yeah, that's what um, Anderson will be doing next. Uh, so um, I heard they were making a film on Tetris, and I was a bit like, "What the fuck? <laughs> How are they gonna turn Tetris into a film?" Well, it's becoming a little more clear, right? So. What it is, it's actually going to be based around um, Hank Rogers, right? And he was the um, Dutch entrepreneur who created the game along with um, uh, his you know, business partner, Alexei Pachinov. Right, and basically they got into a struggle with um, Robert Maxwell and his son around the um, the rights to the game, um, and eventually, you know, Hank was able to um, win them, which meant that him and Patchenov would actually get royalties of money from. This, uh, yeah, huge selling, you know, game, which is kind of crazy, but yeah, so that's gonna be the thing. And, um, Taron Egerton is now, um, signed on to play Hank. Okay, so, um, the film is gonna be directed by John S. Bard. Um, and uh, Leonard Blavenick and Matthew Vaughan are going to be producing. 
Okay, some upper news. Right, so um, Leave the World Behind is going to be a new feature starring um, Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts, who first worked together and well, only worked together on the Pelican Brief back in the day. So, um, the new film is going to be um, a Netflix feature. And the story is about a husband and wife. They're two kids. And they go on holiday to a remote part of Long Island. Right? But then suddenly the owners of you know the the, the house they're renting come back one night in a panic saying that you know a blackout has swept. The city Right but Everything is down TV, internet, phones So No one can verify this information And it just has The families Housed together In this um, place That probably isn't big enough For all of them And um, it says That they are dealing with themes Of race, class And Parenthood So yeah It's um, going to be written By Sam Esmau uh, And um, Yeah he's going to be Directing it as well So uh, Yeah we will see What happens with that um, So another Film that's um you know, coming together is Stage 13 Right, so this is going to be directed By Edgar Wright uh, And um, Simon Rich Is writing it uh, Nera Park And Tim Bavan Along with Eric Fellner Are producing um, And it's Dealing with Right A uh, Sound stage In the back lot of a um, You know film studio Has been haunted By an Actress who Starred in silent films Right so Now we're in present day And a director Stumbles Across the ghost Right, they find that they've got a lot in common And they um, decide to team up To make their mark on the world Sounds a little odd but Quirky So um, who knows It could work right um, So um, we mentioned Crawl In one of the reviews today Now the director of that film, Alexandro Aja, he's um, got a new film set and it's called O2. It's going to be a French speaking film um, and it's uh, coming to Netflix. Okay, so it's on a Christy LeBlanc script. And it follows a young woman who wakes up in a medical. Cryro unit 
She doesn't remember who she is or how she ended up um, sequestered in a box no larger than a coffin. As she's running out of oxygen, she must rebuild her memory to find a way out of her nightmare. I mean, hey, we also talked about buried and yeah, that was based in a coffin, but it worked. So, hey, this could work. You know, um, Melina Laurent is going to be um, starring. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, so, uh, with everything that's been going on in the world, you know, Christopher Nolan's tenant has been pushed back again. It's said that it's going to be hitting cinemas at the end of August, but we'll see what happens. Now, um, recently, the Warner Media CEO, John Stankley, he um, was on a call and he said that the film would not be hitting um, VOD premium services. Yo, they, he said they're committed to this film hitting cinemas, right? But um, other Warner titles may do. Now, he's saying that Wonder Woman 1984 probably won't. But that's kind of been left open a little bit. And it all makes sense, right? But we'll have to see what happens. A film that will be hitting POV services. But will also be hitting cinemas. Is the upcoming Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yep. It's going to um, have a... A day and day release Right so um, yeah It'll be hitting cinemas And streaming services At the same time Which you know It's a, it's a, it's a model That has been utilised By some studios And it's one that does make sense Right um, Because the cinema isn't going to die People like the experience Of seeing films In their optimum Right with the big screen, the big sound system, but sometimes not everyone can make it to the cinema, so this just gives you another option. Um, and this will be happening on the 1st of September, so I think that's Labor Day weekend in America. Uh, so, yeah, let's see what Wild Stallions do, and um, yeah, if they can. Make if this is a success, maybe this is the way forward, and yeah, it all makes sense. I feel, but people, that's us, we are done for another week. But enjoy your film watching, enjoy all the films we've talked about, and we will be back next week to talk films and um, talk shit. So, uh, yeah, we will see you then. Peace.